Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 73 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. It is the podcast in which we go on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. I will be your guide, you'll be at my side, and we're going to make it to the tippity top of that mountain. It's the most spiritual mountain, the most mystical, wonderful, sexual, emotional, heightened form of being that we can possibly achieve. That is true Cage Nirvana. How do we achieve it, you ask? Well, there's only one way, really, isn't there? And that is by watching every film that the man they call Nicolas Cage has ever been in and what a goddamn journey it is and continues to be welcome to episode 73 Uh, apologies this one is a little bit late i was away for uh the weekend and unfortunately did not leave myself as much time as i thought i would have to get round to this one so it's a little bit late i do apologize but we got a corker of an episode it's always a corker of an episode isn't it you know how it is um so what's been going on um Started watching Ted Lasso, and now I feel emotionally uplifted and positive, and I hate it. No, I don't. Uh, no, brilliant. Really good. Really good. Um, so we're going to start pitching the uh, Cage Lasso, or Nick Lasso, or Ted Cage, um, to really give it the yin to that yang. I think it needs some of that spice that only the golden hog of Hollywood can provide. Um, and we're in November as well, we're in November, um, you know, obviously time moves in one direction and that's how time works, but also, <laughs> where has it gone? Uh, but yes, a uh, delightful episode that we've got lined up for you here today in episode 73 of Cage Rage, because I am joined um, by a good old friend of mine, Kieran Murphy, uh, writer, and performer, comedian extraordinaire. Um, Kieran is someone who I've been, I'd been hassling to get on the podcast for a um, for a very long time, and eventually he acquiesced, and eventually he acquiesced, and as I'm sure you can tell in the episode, he's absolutely fucking thrilled about it. Um, now this episode kind of goes off the rails in many aspects, but I won't spoil it for you. I won't give you. Your, start of episode hints i think this one's just like just like getting to cage nirvana it's a journey or in the words of uh ronan keating it's a roller coaster that life you just gotta ride it um so we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get into that and um, as ever you can find me on the usual social medias i am on twitter at cage underscore podcast i'm on instagram at cage rage pod and you can find me on all the usual streaming services Apple Podchaser, Spotify, Google, Amazon, uh, Deezer, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and others, including Acast, the host site of the podcast. If you are listening somewhere in which you can leave a rating like Apple, like Podchaser, please do. It helps the podcast grow and helps more people um, get covered in the oil slick. 
that is Nicholas Cage all up in the white feathers. Um, so let's have a bit of that, that's what I'm saying. So let's kick off November the right way with episode 73 of Cage Rage. It's Darren Edge, joined by Kieran Murphy to talk about 2016's nonsense. Duh. So it's time to round off 2016 as we turn our attentions to the comedy Army of One. Based on the real-life Gary Faulkner, Cage takes the mantle of the eccentric middle-aged part-time construction worker after a vision from God sets him on a journey to Pakistan and to capture Osama bin Laden. You can't make this shit up. Joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to figure out whether Army of One is the hero we need or a zero on speed is writer, actor, comedian and best old buddy Kieran Murphy. Kieran, thank you for joining me on the journey this week. How the devil are you? Uh, yeah, really well. I like your podcast voice. I like that you go into, um, it's like when you have a celebrity on like a PR junket. They're in, um, we were talking about geese, but only <laughs> six seconds earlier. I mean, you were just on. I saw the lights go on. Man, I can, so, yeah. I can flip it in uh, the time it takes a, a goose to hiss at you for walking past. Uh, it's just, it's just that quick. The podcast voice comes out and then, uh, you know, in the cage zone, on the on the journey, mm. on the train. Yeah, put me like, at ease. It's what I do. It's the uh, it's, it's it's the soothing voice. It's the calming voice. It's the voice that was destined to read bedtime stories. Mm. I think. Not uh, to my children. Not to my boys. <laughs> That's my boy. I will read my son <laughs> stories. You stay away from my child's storybook. Um. <laughs> With James, my boys. <laughs> that giant peach is mine. <laughs> mine. <laughs> so um, when I'm not reading stories to fictitious boys, um, I'm watching Nicolas Cage films. Um, and I've, I've been trying to hint at you for quite a while now to come on this. And hint is, is so... Uh, Incorrect of her, like to so say euphemistic. I think at one point you just said, "Please, will you come on my podcast?" I think my response was, "Never, I will never do a podcast." Oh, and how the turns of table, uh, and I reeled you in. In the end, um, if lockdown three was good for nothing else, it was um, having a, a captive audience once. Yeah, more. you've you you you've absolutely. You've tethered me. You caught me over Christmas when I was feeling, you know, a little festive. And, you know, do I want to say you took advantage? Possibly. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want that to cast a peculiar shadow over anything that we're doing today. Mm-hmm. But I do feel uh, as though I'm here by force. And, um, you know, I hold that against you. Um, as should any guest on this podcast, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm an emotional vampire with nothing <laughs> nothing better to do because I work in customer service. I turned yeah. thirty this year and I'm wasted. Um, but you know, Cage, in all his wisdom, all his glory, has given me a strange purpose to continue on this uh, weird podcast journey of mine, which um, started out as a hobby. One semi-expensive microphone later, and now here we are, still doing this. Still rocking and rolling, um, but but trying to um, I guess decide a, a film. You had the most unique way of doing it. Just just, just give me number eighty. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, how many films has the guy done? You know, six, seven films. You um, know, I mean, like a, approximately five. If you use like the American sort of imperial system, about a hundred and ten or so. But it's tomato, tomato, really. I mean, that's a lot of films, isn't it? I did not know he, he's done that many. I've probably this is probably the I don't know sixth Nicolas Cage film I've seen. Very ambivalent towards towards Nicolas Cage. He's mm. fine. Um, so yeah, just give me film number eighty, and it, it was called Army of One. <laughs> it was that. It was that simple. I mean, I hope I counted it correctly because the one before this was Dog Eat Dog, where he starred alongside Willem Dafoe, <laughs> where he eats a dog, <laughs> where he stars as hound and eats other hounds. <laughs> <laughs> For 90 minutes, uninterrupted, he savagely eats a Labrador. <laughs> it's heavily criticised by the RSPCA uh, for being too fucking real. Um, and then after this was the um, panned Arsenal, which uh, is 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, so count your blessings. Um, that's a weird so one. So I, I missed out narrowly on a 3%er. What was that one called? Uh, that was called Arsenal, which is a sort of weird, semi-kind of spiritual sequel to a film he did previously called Deadfall. It's not um, about Ars- It's not about the football club Arsenal. No, it's it's. I, I it's, like I, I like the film. I like the idea of that film where he plays all eleven first team members um, <laughs> <laughs> of Arsenal Football Club, many of whom, let's face it, are, are not are not Caucasian. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing he does, it's challenge himself to roles, <laughs> um, which I which I admire about him. So he's running I'm between. Just saying, I, I would quite like to see Nicolas Cage play Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, and I, <laughs> I put that to him to do. Uh, let me Google some players so I can join in as well. <laughs> um, oh, everyone knows about that mess at Ozil. <laughs> did I did I do it? <laughs> did I hit? Oh, I know that guy. He's the Ozil. Ozil. He's the guy that looks like Frogspawn. <laughs> I like how you. <laughs> I like how you pronounce him like he's like a Pokemon as well. Oh, Ozil. Yeah, level oh. level five Ozil. They oh, get water gun. Oh, you know the old. Uh, you know me and Ozzy, the Osborn, the Ozcopter. We go. We go way back. Yeah, I mean, he, of, of all the Arsenal players to play, he'll probably be the most interesting. There's a lot of uh, you know media speculation about what's happening with him at Arsenal now, so maybe that would be the the player that he would go for uh, that has the most depth to. Maybe I mean I'm, I'm I don't know anything about the players, but I'm just looking at profiles of their mm. faces and names, and judging who's got got depth. Now I'm seeing Nicholas Pepe, Nicholas Peep, um, <laughs> Nicholas Peep Peep. Uh, I'm seeing. Uh, Runner, Alex Runner, son. Uh, like Run Forest, Run. He seems like a laugh. Yeah. So, um, that, so you're saying you would want to do a sort of a biopic of um, Alex Runnerson, but as though it were a sort of Forrest Gump type film, and Nic- uh, Nicholas Cage would be playing him. Yeah, Forrest Rump. It would be called. Um, and it would be the story of an Icelandic footballer who comes to America to pursue his dreams of acting. But uh, an intense incident with a goose later, and he's um, he's he's a goalkeeper for Premier League football club, um, Arsenal. Um, 
and then has an intense relationship with um, Arsene Weng- Wenger. Wenger. The Wenger boys. <laughs> the Wenger bus is coming. Da, 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 da. Is that a chant at Arsenal? It should be. It should be, yeah. I think you're right. I think um, they have a reputation for being quite quiet and um, upset. So uh... <laughs> That sounds like me at every party at uni. <laughs> Just quiet and upset. With another yeah, bottle of Desperados in my hand. Maybe you should have, um, I was going to say applied. You don't really apply for Arsenal. You, what would you do? Try out. I don't <laughs> know, send an application. <laughs> you handed a CV to Arsenal at arsenalfootballground.com. Um, and then if they like the cut of your jib. Uh, I would like to apply for the position of striker. Uh, as you'll see from my CV, I'm a very good public speaker. And uh, I have a strong command of the English language. <laughs> uh, and that's when you know that's when you get further that's when you get interview stage I think that's what happened to Thierry Henry I'm pretty sure I think that's the the story the the legacy of Henry they call it mm. um, I think my selling point would be like football players I also like big numbers on my back call me the number what numbers are free and I'll I'll take the lucky one what's the biggest number that you think you could um Put on your back. Um, I mean, I have. I don't have a wide back, so I probably have to go for an eleven. Yeah, the thinnest really numbers. Sl- yeah, thin numbers. Yeah, you got double digits though, so that's respectable. I don't know what numbers mean. Is that like um, like prize fighter rankings that they have to fight to be the number one? Um, it's like a sort of stone cutters situation, <laughs> sort of like a Freemasonry thing where. Um, <laughs> Number Arsenal eleven. Just, the F in FC stands for Freemasons Club. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, so number eleven would traditionally be, you know, eleven from, you know, the number one uh, guy, who's uh, traditionally the goalkeeper, um, because the net is the most valued um, <laughs> part of the pitch, and if you you don't you know you want to make sure the net isn't sullied by dirt or balls. <laughs> Well, from I've never been to a football match, but I know that like with TV show recordings, they have like a warm-up guy that comes out and uh, addresses the crowd, and they say, "You know what we all say about nets? It's number one." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the classic, uh, the classic Arsenal chant. And and I think to bring it all back around, that's probably the guy that Nicolas Cage should play in the film of Arsenal FC. Is the uh, the warm-up guy. I thought you were going to say he should play the football net. <laughs> yeah, all that, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, so, so get this. Nicolas Cage plays an aspiring football net who works his way up from five-a-side Sunday league to the big premiership game. I'm full of ball. <laughs> Which is what I think a football net would say if it could talk. I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I'm, I, I do think after seeing the film Army of One, uh, that it's it's, un, it's unlikely. <laughs> you don't you don't think his range can extend to football net? <laughs> no, no, not like an Oliver Reed or you know a Dale Winton. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the. Uh... The uh, unfortunately deceased host of Supermarket Sweep. I've made it sound like a ghoul still hosts 
It's like, ring, I think it's Ryland, so I think you're not far off. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it is Ryland, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did want to apply for supermarkets. We it's long been a dream to go wild down those aisles. <laughs> I think maybe that's the career that you yeah, you need to pursue is you know, you've obviously got bargain hunt winner under your belt now. Yeah. Um don't know if that's something that you trumpet on the podcast. But I mean <laughs> I a bit like bring it up. A bit, <laughs> a bit like a belt collector, you know. You need to go after that next championship. You need to go after the supermarket sweeps. You need to go. Is Ready Steady Cook still a thing? Um, get your own back. Get gunged by Dave Benson Phillips, or not gunged. Perhaps it's probably you. Probably want to go gunge free. Yeah, I mean, I'm ambivalent towards gunge. I don't know in the way my stupid head works. So when you said Dave Benson Phillips. I just thought if if the sport of hunting man was an option, I'd like to hunt Dave Benson Phillips. I think he'd present a yeah, good he's challenge. Yeah, it's just it's just cheeky, isn't he? I think he'd just he'd make a real he'd make a real go of it. He'd be, you know, he'd be hiding behind a tree and he might stick his stick his face out and give you a face of say, "Oh, you can't catch me." And I think <laughs> that'd be nice. I think that would give, bring a certain levity and lightness to to the, yeah. the man hunt. Like a very um, Acme comic roadrunner zip who just leave like mm. a dusty outline of himself, gave one of those classic Dave Benson, whoa's! <laughs> and I was like, I'll get you, Benson Phillips, or yeah. mark my words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be a new six part series on Amazon Prime called um, Hunting for DBP. <laughs> the Hunting of Sacred Phillips. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, well, in the in the inevitable remake after the documentary, we'll get you know, Willem Dafoe to play Dave Benson Phillips, um, which I think would be a a great casting shout. Um, but you you uh, <laughs> try and bring bring things back from Arsenal and Dave, big Davey D Benson Fee lips. Um, you sort of mentioned being a bit ambivalent to Cage and. Um, I suppose I always like to check with, with guests as well, um, you know, going digging a bit more into that. Um, Please that dig. <laughs> um, so, so for the listeners, I've tilted my head at a right angle now, so you know that I'm serious. Oh, he's um, digging. He's getting in deep. Um, so, and I'm per- doing my stank lips, like Donald Trump's stank lips. By the time this goes out, he's not president anymore, but for historical context. Um, so have you seen... Have you seen any uh, Nicolas Cage films that you like? I have seen some terrific Nicolas Cage films. I watched Con Air a couple of months ago for the first time uh, in probably about 10 years. And um, that's obviously his most well-known one. I've seen Face Off a few times. Um, That's, you know, that's good because it's so terrible. Um, that's one of his highest rated films on uh, Rotten Tomatoes you cur yeah I mean it's great but uh, you know it's not um, you know I I think I'm enjoying it for a different reason than the director probably intended (laughs) for that one yeah Mr John Woo um, bringing his face off really wow yeah Um, was his first Hollywood film uh, what else have I seen Um, what's that David Lynch one Wild uh, at wild, heart, wild at heart, yeah, yeah, he's quite good in that. That's quite, a, it's quite a young cage in that. So like, and raising Arizona, Coen Brothers, seen him in that. Mm. I think you'd he's, like he's adaptation. Okay. I think you'd I like, like adaptation. Um, 
That is uh, another critically acclaimed one. He got numerous Best Actor nominations. Uh, Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper in it. They won a lot of supporting actor. Okay. Uh, Charlie Kaufman did the script. Oh, That's... did he? Was he the guy who did the script for Being John Malkovich? Yes. Oh, I um, love that film. So Being John Malkovich. I'm thinking of ending things fairly recently on Netflix. Oh, I've got that um, on my list. Yeah. Okay. This might be a real goer. Maybe I'll watch um, that tonight. I only watched it last night, actually, at the time of recording. Really, really good film. Um, Spike Jones directs. Oh, um, big, oh, love! This is lovely. Oh, this is lovely. Lovely. You're giving me all lovely, lovely points here. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I wish now I had watched adaptation for this uh, podcast. It sounds really good. We could have had a really good conversation about adaptation, but we, instead, I watched Army of One. <laughs> uh, so, so I suppose you know. Let, let's 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 tuck into that the elephant in the room, the golden hog in the room, mm. um, in Army of One. So, as as alluded to, based on the real life story of Gary Faulkner, who um, claimed to have seen a vision of God, set him out on a challenge, on a task, um, a mission to go to Pakistan and capture Osama bin Laden. Um, got like a fair bit of press i think back in 2010 2011 when this story was sort of breaking through there was uh, a documentary called binny boy about him in 2011 um it was called binny boy binny boy yeah apparently um i said a, right. lot of, a lot of press did a lot of sort of the media rounds that almost sounds racist but it's not actually i sort of analyzed the binny boy sounds like a racist slur but i don't think it you know it's not is it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i would have to read up again and see what binny boy <laughs> actually means because i guess um, just bin laden boy is that what that's short for oh maybe that makes sense because that's why I, just... I thought it's just odd and it's an odd you fucking binny boys <laughs> talking about bin laden of course yeah have those, you seen those... his daughter is like a social media like influencer Maybe I'm completely... Is this Osama, Osama bin Laden you're talking about? <laughs> his daughter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like his uh, his daughter's some sort of... Um, she's got like a, you know, Instagram profile. And I could be... This could be complete bullshit. You're going to need to fact check me on this. Um, well, I suppose after a legacy like that, you've, you have you need to rebrand quite significantly. Yeah, I mean, a, difficult. A, a quick Google of Osama bin Laden daughter uh, says he's got um, at least nine daughters. Yeah. Uh, okay. Possibly more. Um, you know, when you're trapped in a cave, you've got to keep yourself busy, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I um, guess I guess you're going to want to spread that seed as, as far as it will go. Yeah. I think you've, you've got a... Um, Just human nature. Maybe he, maybe he's the the, the Binny Boy. If that's what he like, like a like a Tinder profile name, like Binny Boy sixty nine. Um, but he had like a nice like heart filter over his face. He didn't yeah. quite know. Yeah, the softer side of Osama bin Laden. Yeah. <laughs> when you peel back the bin and see the Laden, um, <laughs> there's, there's there's so many sensitive layers <laughs> to bin Laden uh, that we just didn't realize about. Um, I kind of found most interesting. Um, I think about the. Character- we should we should also just clarify that um, you know he's an awful man, 
awful, awful. I actually uh, had him booked for the podcast next yeah, week. You, uh, yeah, you're going to need to rescind the um, the invite. Um, or, or no, maybe it's a good way to to lead him out of you know death. You know, yeah. heavy air quotes. You know, heavy air lead quotes. him out of that white sheet in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> you know, if if you know swimming with the fishes, what is this? The Italian America mobsters. Huh? <laughs> I really feel like I've taken you so far off the rails. This is just going to be I've, I've I've lost so much confidence. <laughs> let me uh, let me throw a fictitious little uh, fishing line, reel you back in, uh, hook line, hook line, and stanker. Um, no, I think to sort of stress the positives of this, um, Rotten Tomatoes. If you kind of give adherence to that thing. Only gave it 25%. Um, I will say, for better or worse, I did like the fact that Nicolas Cage just completely committed to this character. Um, he was fully in on it, even though, and I think it's important to to note here, that um, his voice for Gary Faulkner mm. does not sound anything like the real Gary Faulkner. Um, very yeah, I- nasally... It's, it's difficult to get used to his voice of this film. I put here, uh, it sounds a bit like if you put um, like an intense cocaine high in the washing machine. Uh, <laughs> and you just kind of get this sort of like slurry, uh, this sort of like compounded slurry that is sort of... Oh, Gary Faulkner. You know, like like in primary school when you do an impression of someone, but you're like, <laughs> oh, my name's Steve and I sound like this. Yeah, um, that's what he was doing to, for Gary Faulkner, but just a lot more, um, a lot more, in, just very intense. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's his trademark, right? Yeah, he, he brings a lot of intensity to it. I mean, sometimes... I think especially now there is a self-awareness to Nicolas Cage and when people pursue him for films, like sometimes, um, I think even on, there was like a, a behind the scenes feature on um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse where he voiced Spider-Man Noir, where they're asking him to uh, give it sort of um, a, a bit more, a bit more Cage. And he's like, oh, you guys want the full Cage? Um, so he's he's aware, I think, of how people perceive him. Uh, perceive him. So... I think in the same sense of how he had the Netflix series History of Swearing as well, because he knows that he's uh, he's done a few swearies. Yeah, in his, in his time. Met, that that was also like a consideration going into this is that like at this point of his career, I mean, this is what twenty sixteen, so yeah. in the last you know couple of years, he's sort of more more meme than man, you know. <laughs> so I I I was. I anticipated that I'd I'd get a more um, you know like hackneyed performance of like you know given the greatest hits, but I, I've got to say like w- there was a bit of that, but also like I felt like I think twenty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes is a bit harsh. I think the film had more redeeming qualities than than ne- you know negative ones. Yeah, I I think there was definitely the um 
a good concept in there that could definitely have been uh, pushed a bit further, like exploited a bit more. Um, I mean, there was there's a good sort of um, sort of comedy minds in in the director Larry Charles, who also directed uh, Borat, Bruno, The Dictator, was a key writer on Seinfeld um, for a while as well. Um, so there's a decent pedigree behind this. Um, it seems like one of the biggest letdowns and sort of to hate to bring him up this sort of early in the episode, but it was the the motherfucking the Weinstein brothers had a big hand in sort of yeah, fucking this up. Yeah, I um when the film ended, um yeah, those 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 bloody names cropped up and I went, Oh no. Yeah Batman <laughs> The Badmans. Um <laughs> The, the 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 bloody rape scenes, if I do say so myself. Yeah, real real jerks, if you ask me. Stone the more cold. I hear about them, the less I like them. Yeah, when you when you've got like a, a wine which is nearly wiener in your name, you're you're real you're a real pork chop, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hold for applause. Um, but he he's he Nicholas Cage has gone on to say that um, I think he was disappointed. In the film as well, he said, um, with the version that got released, which I think is the only version, the one we get in Amazon Prime at the moment, um, that the director, Larry Charles, didn't get the final cut um, due to interception from Bob Weinstein, especially who decided to recut the movie according to his own tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the interview, Cage sort of further voices frustration with, and I quote, conservative aliens that chop up movies and make them into mush as well um yeah it did have a bit of that feeling to it there were lots of scenes in it um that you could tell or certainly felt like um were a little improvised or you know it's like rain wilson was in the film uh will you know will sasso had some like really good um like comedians comic actors in it and nicholas cage you know unfortunately also had russell brand in it but you know um but there was like a, a, it felt like there was a bit of like improv or like a bit of there were little elements of the uh, actors sort of having fun with the script maybe and um, they were some of the higher points. So I could see what you mean, like what he means when he's saying like it all got chopped to shit in the in the edit because yeah, any time it like sort of hit a high, we are like, oh, this is yeah, okay, right? This has got me roped back in. For every one of those, you're like, oh god, what's what's happening now? Well, he's he's in Pakistan and he's. You know, yeah, the motorcycle, <laughs> and he's he's chasing the locals with a sword. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like you say, there's you can you can see there was it was definitely a a victim of sort of harsh edits and stuff. Uh, Paul Shear, who was also in it as Pickles, his friend, he said in his podcast Unspooled that the Weinstein's are notorious for meddling with films. Um, so Larry Charles made a purposeful uh, effort to limit the amount of footage he actually shot and try to do a lot of editing in camera so it try and limit how much they could mess things up but Mm -hmm. uh, it did unfortunately not stop them from recutting the film and giving it a uh, very limited release as well so they so the weinsteins made a purposeful effort to almost punish yeah yeah sabotage almost purry uh, purry uh put him in a curry uh punish (laughs) larry charles put him in a giant stew um, just put vegetables on him. Um, 
simmer that for a delicious 12 hours and then um, just before you, you serve that curry you um, chop it up into 12 different portions and then you just throw them at the wall <laughs> and you say eat that eat it off the wall eat that you <laughs> cooking <cow. laughs> yeah, that... I heard a little too yeah, do I, I th- edit it out do I to keep punch it in your... oh, leave it in yeah we're going to leave it in this is you know um, I'm going to like Joe Rowe this is this is raw, unfiltered toots coming oh, right at you. Have you, have you, have you, have you done LSD toots? Um, whatever, whatever the fuck is it is he talks about on his podcast. I hope it's toots. Um, but yeah, I, even with the the money this made, it said to made uh, have made just about three hundred seventy two thousand dollars at the uh, at the box office, um, and so actually no mention of the film's budget either with a very limited release, so one has to assume that there was a loss of some description made on this one. Um, oh, it's all probably just money laundry, isn't it? It's probably uh, hush money for the fucking Weinsteins. Um, but there was, um, on a slight tangent, there's a there's like a specific Cage film festival they have in America, or had in America, called Caged at the uh, Alamo Theatre. Um, and one year... They got Cage to come along as like a special guest of honor, basically. So it's um like a whole day film festival. Usually, this one guy curates it, and it's just twelve hours of watching um Nicholas Cage films. But um on this year, how dare you? But on this year, um <laughs> Nicholas Cage got to curate the films. I think this was one that he he uh, put forward to make as well. Because uh, I was listening to a podcast that he was on, and he said Nicholas Cage was there with his girlfriend, and for twelve hours they were just. Um, sat in the dark watching Cage films as Cage ate popcorn and drank Red Bulls. And that sounds like and my... Red Bulls? I thought you were say red wine. Red Bulls, that's the last thing you'd want to give him. He's already, his baseline intensity is already so... You're talking about giving the people full Cage, maybe that's what he was doing. He wanted to fan service. So he's, he's taken on Red Bull after Red Bull. Gotta give the people what they want, man. <laughs> you know, and just absolutely cry. His heart is like, oh, Nicholas, please. <laughs> his heart's just pounding at 200 beats per minute. Yeah, you know when you hear, like, stories of, like, a rock star, like, you know, doing, like, their final line of cocaine and they, you know, died in an elevator and the doctor's like, you've got to stop doing this. You know, they come they come back to life and they yeah. have the big, the big revelation. That's what Cage is just given. He's given too much for himself. So Cage gave us. I still don't care about him, but he's he's (laughs) given too much for himself. Cage sacrificed himself so that we could live. He he crawled so we could run over broken glass and. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing it to himself? Because I I don't believe it's for us. I don't believe it's for me. Oh, you know, I th- I think there's a part of Cage for everyone. Now, it seems to me like you're a you're you're the critically acclaimed cult Cage kind of guy. You'll dip in where the consensus is favourable. Um, yeah, okay, but for the fair. for the for the you know the rougher edges, um, the unsanded wheel that is Cage. Where I'm there with my overalls on, my flaccid penis just tucked out. You can just see it if you peep. It's just there, and mm-hmm. I'm going. Uh, nice shiny wheel coming up, Mr. Cage. Mm. Um, you know, I'm there to scrape the fucking barnacles off the boat and um, sup upon the uh, rancid, putrid flesh within. You paint a beautiful that, picture. I paint a beautiful picture of a man who is in a 
padded room <laughs> screaming <laughs> screaming maybe that's um, maybe that's it maybe that's that you have this sort of spiritual kinship with with Nicolas Cage maybe you know maybe that's what you know when you watch a film with him in you see eyes that you know are expressing a deep inner pain and your eyes set set upon that feel a sort of um a bind you know uh, a soul bond uh, mm. you understand it i see a i see an old dog desperate to be old yellowed and i say not today boy not today have you seen that uh, video of that dog who has like buttons and um she presses the buttons and the button might say like walk i want to go for a walk yes have you seen that I have, and there's, yeah. there's there's one where she's like, um, "Why do I exist?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the buttons say that, but it's it's the 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 end the end of that video is a dog looking out the window, having asked a question of like, "Why am I here?" And <laughs> I feel like that's what you that's what you have. But I, instead of a window, you're looking into the eyes of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I am an ex, a dog that's just discovered an existential crisis. Yeah. His tail never wagged again. Kibble didn't crunch the same. Um, and now, you know, I'm chasing the ball, but why am I bringing it back? Yeah. When you're yeah. just going to throw it again. Yeah. I mean, having done this podcast now, do you, do you, is there more joy or less joy when you're watching cage now now that it's become um you know a job almost does it give it more purpose or does it make you question the purpose you know why am i doing this <laughs> why are we here why are we here um, yeah um oh, what day is bin day uh, <laughs> th- these are the big questions i ask myself um it's it's weird in in a sense like it's when's binny boy day that's what I like. <laughs> when do i take out the binny boy mm. um <laughs> i need to go and maybe i need to go on my own uh spiritual journey to pakistan and um well, i thought this is what you i thought this, this was your spiritual journey i thought i thought this is your you know cage nirvana i thought you were in are you in it yeah i'm 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 in it i'm in it you know <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, I'm in it. I'm here. You know, um, the, boy, the boy said confidently. <laughs> Laugh, the boy. <laughs> um, this is this is kind of the weird thing because I've I've got like no massive notions about this podcast, and I know what this podcast is. It's a Nicolas Cage podcast. It's it's never going to break through to the upper echelons of the highest podcast. Um, is it a Nicolas Cage podcast? Let me stop you there. Or is it a podcast about a, a man finding or losing his ego? <laughs> oh, you can't see this because it's audio, but he's, Kieran's eyes went really wide. <laughs> <laughs> Complete ego death. Is that what this is? Maybe yeah, that's this, what this is. This is just, you know, I describe it as humbling. This is, this I, what is, I wouldn't describe it as this between you and i is a good listen that would be the very <laughs> last thing yeah th- this ultimately is what happens when you um when in real life you have a breakdown 
and you change to a job that no longer has health coverage and you can't go to therapy anymore. This is yeah. why this is when this podcast comes into fruition. This is when you try to deal with your problems and find an outlet during a during a pandemic. But yeah. that being said, um, it, it has given me, and I wouldn't say a purpose. You know, like, this is like the one thing I was meant to do. This has given me a lot of joy to look forward to. I do enjoy doing this. I like the um. I like researching the films and watching them. I unironically enjoy Nicolas Cage as a person and an actor. I like doing the admin and having the chat as well. Um, Talk so about his more, hog. I, I <laughs> boy, do I! And will I again? I'll strike again. Um, I, I genuinely like really enjoy doing this. Uh, would it ever become a career in this economy? Who knows? I mean, because I'm I, part of me is just desperate to let go of the nine five do something else that fulfills me this this definitely scratches an itch um cage fills you cage fills you right up is what you're saying the hog is unsheathed and i am full num, num, <laughs> num, num, num. <laughs> is uh is what i'm saying yeah is, I, i'm i'm engorged my do you think this page is a top or a bottom because i think i think he's a top i think somehow he's able to do both Wow! Same yeah, time range. He's basically like the uh, the the Ouroboros snake, just fucking himself <laughs> in a perfect circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's a really good metaphor for his body of work. I think it's just a fucking himself <laughs> <laughs> to death. Yeah, <laughs> to absolute death. Yeah, ego and- death and. Just imagine like a just like a Ferris wheel of cage got like oh <laughs> rotating. That is sort of the noise that he makes, right? That's his like you know, that's his thing, right? The, the snake noise himself <laughs> and eating himself noise. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not um, it's when you see him in the street. It's not oh you're Nicolas Cage, the uh, the winner of the nineteen ninety five Oscar for best actor. It's Oh, you're the snake man. One day I'll say for every like, con air, for every face off, there's a army of one and there's a um you know, the other film that he that he's that he's in. <laughs> that one other film that he's in. You know, yeah. there's there, there, there's some stankers in there, but maybe one day when if I get to meet him, I'll be like, Oh Nick, I've been doing a great impression of you, and then I just fucking collapse my spine and swallow myself like the snake and he'd be like would you like an autograph and he'll just sign my yeah, belly as it goes past too busy crushing red bulls into his forehead to <laughs> even pay attention even understand what's happening in front of him he just sees like color just like perfectly blended color that's just <laughs> in constant you know frantic well, movement all he can see is pure UV, like the Static. northern lights. Yeah, just absolute white noise of like blisteringly hot, pure energy. <laughs> that's He's why one with he, the universe. Yeah, that's why he is like he is. Um, should we the, talk about the, the the film? Well, just I, just to, just to wrap that up, he is a being of pure energy, and no one's actually ever seen him move. If you blink, he's just somewhere else because he he can move. He can um, he has full control over. Uh, all of his molecules. I heard um, that the director of Army of One, when they were trying to ha- block out scenes where he is moving, there's like a trick of the camera 
that they do where um because obviously the, the, the frame rate on the cameras wouldn't be able to pick that up they actually just um they set a scarecrow on fire and they just punted that through the shot and that actually <laughs> on film when you when you see it on film it actually looks exactly like Nicolas cage walking through the through the magic of um, hollywood vfx and and ghouls um, a flaming crow beast looks like Nicolas Cage walking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, it's just cinema, isn't it? Anyone who knows a thing or two about cinema knows that's how it's done. Well, I got um, you know, a, a C in A level media at high school, so uh, I, yeah, I, I know my, too. I know my Burning Crow very, mm. very well. Um, speaking of hot, burning, steaming piles, uh, <laughs> Russell Brand is in this, as you mentioned earlier. Um, which it kind of feels, uh, I don't know. He, Russell Brand is Russell Brand in the same way that Russell Brand is Russell Brand in any film you've given, you give him because he can only act one way. And that is use a lot of big words, be Russell Brand. Yeah. Um, it's really disappointing. Um, when I was like, oh, Russell Brand's in it. Um, and then I went like, oh, double whammy. He's playing God or, you know, yeah. it's Cage's version of, of God. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just an, another, another thing to be disappointed in. Great, you know, that's what I needed. <laughs> it's, I, it's I just... love the idea that Russell Brand got given the script, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not reading this." And his agent's gone, "Well, you play God," and he's gone, oh, "I won't read it, but I'll do it." <laughs> I'm not. I like the idea that none, none of the lines that he actually said were. Uh, ones that he should have been reading from the script. It was just um, my only frame of reference of Russell Brand, even though he's you know he's he's very intellectual and well spoken. It's just when he used to present Big Brother's Big Mouth on E4 like ten years ago and or longer than ten years ago. And every ad break, he would just make a joke about his ball bags and his dinkle and how yeah, I, I'd laughed and I now hollered. it's the, it's the same it's the exact same Russell Brand, but he he makes jokes about like um, enlightenment. And you know, grass or something. I don't know. <laughs> I pull back down my pants and water my flowers. I sound like I'm going to carry on film. <laughs> carry on blaspheming. And I take that Bible and shove it at my dinkle. Um, is that is that did that was that a convincing brand? If you if you want, yeah. What do you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Like I'm your friend. I guess I've got to, I've got to say this, haven't I? <laughs> Um, I can't. I, I, th- I think they kind of played it quite straight in the fact that um, one day, Larry's you know he's got those dicky kidneys. Is that dialysis? Just sees Russell Brand as God in in the vision of a magazine, sort of taking over the form of other people in the building. He just sees these visions of him. Um, I thought maybe are, are they gonna sort of touch on say maybe there's like a mental aspect here but they make it very poignantly clear that um um cage's character is as fit as, as a fiddle he's a sound mind he's just just a bit of an oddball there's nothing he's not really as fit as a, a as fit as a fiddle he's, he's on dialysis you know that's uh he's he's fucked mate <laughs> The horrible thing is knowing the way that my body is breaking down um, and has been for some time. I feel that dialysis is going to be in my future. I think it's only a matter of time. It's really, really miserable. Um, really, really horrible. 
yeah. horrible stuff. Um, yeah, when your when your kidneys go, as anyone will will know, if that's happened to them. It's um, yeah, it really really messes with your life. Um, so yeah, he's far from fit as a fiddle, mate. He's he's knackered. Um, but they they harp on about that for you know every opportunity in the film is like oh, how are you going to get your dialysis but gary your your dialysis time you're having hallucinations because of the dialysis which <laughs> i guess is a good you know like signpost it to the audience and stuff which is fine but um yeah i suppose later on when the film goes to um a bit of a weird place I suppose it's designed for you to go like, oh, none of this is, is sort of happening. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering um, if they were going to play it as an angle of like how much of this is in his head kind of thing, how much of this is the, the, the hallucinatory effects of not being on dialysis. Mm. Um, and I suppose it didn't really help with, all, as we've been talking about, sort of the film being um, sort of the victim of harsh edit cuts in post as well. Yeah. Um, I suppose that first the first time he tries to make it to Pakistan when he um gets that well effectively a boat loan from his doctor um and then he he's in a he's got a sling on that kind of came out of nowhere oh, yeah yeah well i guess did he oh he's 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 on the boat and he's he's at the harbor and he's just in a sling randomly yeah that was never explained yeah I, i'm not sure if he made a passing reference to say he tried to do something with the sail and he broke his arm um, and then suddenly he, he washes up and you think he might be in Mexico. I think he's actually, he drifted to San Diego when he's, when he's after the, um, I think he's second, when he's after the paraglider, I think it is. He says that the all American flag paraglider, um, that seemed like a bit of a, just a random scene they put in there when they try to just throw some comedy and that he's knocking all those canoes over. Um, <laughs> I, I, put, I thought that was a very prescient part of the, uh, the film, actually, Daryl. Um, oh. There's a it's an old Hitchcock um, device that if you have a man knock over canoes, um, not kayaks, but canoes, um, it's actually a reference to the genocide of the North American, the Native American, sorry, um, people. So, yeah, very interesting, around. very interesting uh, metaphor. Uh, so if anything this film is uh, from a technical standpoint brilliant and we're not doing it justice it was just those harsh edits we keep going back to it those (laughs) damn edits that have really stopped this film from being the next The Shining (laughs) my my name is Nicholas Cage and I play The Shining Um, (laughs) I think I've lost count of the, the number of times that he's character Gary and I, th- I think it's important to go back to that sort of mush of a, of a voice you mentioned, because um, he doesn't always put voices on. I think he did it for a character, like an animated film about guinea pigs in G-Force, which is a kid's film, that's fine. He did it in the 80s film Peggy Sue Got Married, um, which was completely unnecessary. So it was he's kind of gone back to some, I guess, kind of old ways here. And the the voice, it's so... Like I said earlier, it sounds nothing like the real Gary Faulkner because it's usually, we're not talking about America, and I love America. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think, I think that. You sound I think, like uh, Regis Philbin. <laughs> <laughs> 
we've got WWE superstar, the Undertaker, on the program. Today. <laughs> oh, it's it's only like um, a, a lower pitch away from just going to like Mean Gene. Is I'm joined by the Ultimate Warrior Cage. Um, <laughs> I think there's something about Cage though when he takes these roles, especially the ones that are based on real people. Um, because I was I listened to an interview he did with his brother Mark Coppola. Um, which I think might relate to this because at the time of recording, he's been casting Joe Exotic in the um, the Amazon Prime Joe Exotic Tiger King series that they're going to do. Oh. And I think whoever's directing that, they sort of forwarded him uh, before the Netflix series came out, I think, uh, this article that was about Joe Exotic. And he made a point of saying that he hasn't watched the series, uh, the, the Netflix documentary. So um, there's a good chance that like the voice that he, he gives does like us. a nigerian voice he, he does the voice of like a nigerian prince that sends emails to hotmail accounts yeah um offering you know boats and riches and all sorts and it will um, be it you know another 25 percent rotten tomatoes <laughs> tick it off get the cash in the in the bag and um yeah you know Old. they'll have festivals about me <laughs> it's just lazy I, th- I think un- unless there's like a connection to the the director and he's explicitly told to do things a certain way, I think he retains this. Um, I guess he can sort of air quote it, artistic integrity when he br- wants yeah. to bring his own vision flavor. and version of characters, his own flavor to characters as well. Which I don't I, think I, it. I don't think it hindered the film as as, as for as much as we're talking about. I don't really think it hindered the film that much it it yeah it gave it like a sort of a flavor to it there uh one thing i actually quite liked about it is when he sort of offset it a bit he had a really nice scene with um uh the female lead i can't remember her name is it Maisie? um marcy i think it marcy was. yeah um and uh i mean as a uh I mean, I don't think that character is going to pass the Bechdel test anytime soon. But uh, there is a, 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 a sweet scene between them where she presents her uh, insecurities and he's able to show some of his character's insecurities and vulnerabilities. And it sort of grounds his craziness in uh, in quite a nice, you know, like it's got a bit of texture to it. And from yeah. after that point, I was like, okay, like... I, I this guy's you know horrible, but at least I can kind of feel for him a little bit. And it was yeah, was nice. yeah. There, there's definitely something to keep him grounded there. Um, I, I feel in a way they kind of had to make Marty's character. They had to sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, up the ante on her a touch, like half a level, just so she'd be accepting of all of these choices that he's making, because he usually seems to just patrol the local DIY stories, handing out the business cards. He's saying like, that's not American made. You know what? That's taps. Those taps are made in Africa. Or that's like this kind of, uh, kind yeah. of like, mm. like, uh, like, are you just proud? Like I buy American or is there a subtext of racism there? Oh um, yeah. Definitely. Specifically about taps and lamps. Um, I think one of the grievances that he, he had that definitely stuck with me was the Japanese toilets won't flush your poo. Your big American poos. I think he's just saying, like, your, your poos are big and strong and American, and this <laughs> silly toilet won't even lick them. 
<laughs> America, fuck yeah. Um, Come here to flush, you motherfucking booze away. <laughs> fuck those Japanese toilets. <laughs> First, there's perfectly cubic Japanese poops that we all yeah. know about. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would agree that, yeah, he's, he's initially presented as a, as a real bloody piece. Um, but then yeah. the, uh, one of the good things that has going for it is, you know, it makes you, especially in like, you know, like the Capitol building just got uh, stormed. Hello. What doing? Oh, Stevie says she wants to be in the podcast. <laughs> uh, introducing Stevie to the podcast, everyone. Yeah, obviously with the, the Capitol building having just been um, stormed in that failed coup attempt, um, it like having this very sort of uh, right-leaning character grounded in, you know, he's just a fucking dork. Um, it makes you sort of, I don't know, fascists are yeah. bad, but also they're, um, you know, confused people. So it it provided a, a, a platform where you're like, oh, I can sort of understand why this person is like he is yeah i think it definitely um spun up wrapped up in a lot of sort of the i guess sort of the post 9 11 sort of um hysteria that would have been prevalent at the time so you you, you kind of get especially at the time it was set why someone would go to these extremes um and as you said even now he's he's definitely someone who would have been at the capital storming and left his business card there yeah, and he would have been the victim of a, a Twitter "do your thing," and he would have been found and um, and certainly fired. Um, but I think, sort of touching on that, like after he gets his sword and he's able to fairly simply um, get onto like a, a flight, I kind of felt like I don't think if you were not white that you wouldn't have got on that flight with that sword. Um, just bagged it. And got yeah, that, that was something that, I, that was absolutely maddening about it was that um, you're allowed a. You can't bring a sword on as a carry on, but like, please, by all means, pop it in your luggage. Is that allowed? <laughs> um, I, I that felt like, especially in a post nine eleven world, I don't. I feel like that wouldn't have been um, permitted, um, but. Hey, Nicholas Cage, and as you said, when he gets to customs, um, reason for visit, take care of business. And at the hotel, call me the G. Um, I also put here in my notes, looks like he smells. Yeah, I got that vibe. He has a bit of a smelly vibe to a him. greasy sort um, of vibe to him. Like I say, there's this kind of the conflicting things about whether you, you can really sort of like him or not, because... He looks like a bit of a smelly guy, sort of that long tie back grey hair, the big bushy beard. Yeah. Um, you know, in that montage, it took him 22 days to beat his meat whilst he was hanging around in Pakistan. Uh, and he's got, you know, Why you very. you pronouncing it like that? Uh, like what? Pakistan. You know, it's, it's my podcast voice. I'm, I'm enunciating. <laughs> um, if it was my normal Brummy voice, like Pakistan, he's going to Pakistan to yeah. try and find Bin Laden. Yeah, exactly. Um, um but then on the other side like you said he's got that sort of grounding with the relationship with marcy he has a genuine affinity for um 
uh, her, I guess, like adopted daughter, really, her her niece um, in Lizzie. He builds the ramp for her. He brings those clothes back. Does he, though? Does he build the ramp? I thought this was another thing. At the end of the film, we're jumping all over the place here, but at the end of the film, it felt like he walks down some stairs. He's like, I've got to go back to Pakistan or Pakistan, as as, as Daryl would would say. <laughs> Uh, and he walks down the stairs as if the the ramp's ne- never been built. So I was like, oh, has he imagined? Has he has he um, hallucinated a ramp into existence? He never even did that. What should I be believing in this film? Is he even in Pakistan? Um, yeah, I think that the main message is truth, justice in the American way. Yeah, um, God, no, I'm getting wound up. God damn it! <laughs> remembering this film now. You know, I, I too, if there's one thing that makes me sad, it's remembering. I mean, what 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 happens is that like the, the, this film goes off at a blistering pace, basically, for like the first twenty five minutes, and I was like, all right, well, they're not fucking around. I realised in the first, I think the first thing he says in the film is he yells, "Pickles, pickles," and then I was like, right, okay, I can kind of gather what kind of performance I'm I'm in for here. And then immediately after that, he karate kicks and he's in his pants. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, well, I can be sure yeah. of what I'm getting into. And then 25 minutes later, he's going to Pakistan. Um, and then it changes gears a little bit and it sort of just goes off the rails, I think. Yeah, I mean, they they start by make it by with the sort of the narration. Um, and I guess that the narrator's supposed to be or gives the the air of a journalist who has spoken to Gary sort of post the film saying, well, this is what Gary told me. And then by and large, they kind of just drop the narration. That doesn't seem to be... Yeah, it felt a bit like a sort of arrested development kind of. They had this sort of like... You know, that kind of like vibe music underneath it. Gary was going to Pakistan, except he wasn't. You know, that kind of... Yeah, they should have had like a... A Hello Feel. Darkness, my old friend Mariachi band at some point, I think, would have would have serviced this. Um obviously that like we I think a lot of the the weirdness in it sort of comes from the hallucinations that he gets as well, which I I wonder if there was going to tap into a bit more. You've got the, him watching TV and it's basically cribs, whatever Osama bin Laden. Um That was absolute the absolute high point for me of the whole film is when he's watching telly <laughs> and Osama bin Laden or OBL as he calls himself <laughs> is um is some sort of like rap star, like hip hop star, showing off his his house. <laughs> I don't I don't and he had a picture of George W. Bush on the on the cave wall, that was nice. Um that was very funny. There were lots of like f- little funny like if this meal if this uh, film was a meal it would um you know have good have good seasoning. I don't know. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that about a meal before? Probably not. The... It's seasoned well. It's nice. This was not a nice film <laughs> nor meal. I couldn't eat it. But the salt um... on this meal. <laughs> Next time we come here um, I'm just going to skip the fish and I will just have the salt <laughs> straight. Can I get some neat salt, waiter? Uh, can, I get, can I get the bottle of the salt for this? It's great can here. I, can, I get a, can I get a salt uh, salt shaker for the table? Um, 
on the subject of food, I did like when uh, the uh, CIA guys come into it. Yeah. One played by Rain Wilson. They had a funny little improv about uh, Ali Parata. And I loved seeing Ali Parata represented on the uh, the menu of this film. Ali Parata represents... Um... You get, you get the agents, the CIA agents. Agent uh, Simons, I think Rain Wilson was. Dennis O'Hara's Agent Doss. What a Doss bag he was as well. Um, <laughs> they were very, very funny. Good, a, a high point. Yeah. But like, again, that seasoning, it just wasn't... This dish isn't seasoned yeah, enough. If if this was a TikTok that Gordon Ramsay was watching, you'd be like, oh, don't put that sauce on it, you donut. Lamb sauce! Um, and he would have just screeched like a banshee, and yeah, he would have said something like, "This film is bad." I don't know. Then <laughs> <laughs> just snapped someone's neck, and then you've made a bad film. Look at my arms. Oh, you're taking advantage of women. Don't do that <laughs> to Harvey Weinstein. That's what he's saying to Harvey you know Weinstein. That Gordon Ramsay is actually an amalgamation of other people's body parts. Yeah, I could be yeah, that. That's why he he never takes off his um his chef's upper half because it's all just patchwork pieces. I think it's more like he's um he's a sort of symbiote of like lots of like old ham <laughs> that's like formed and melded into one man. It's all come come together like a sort of like evil bubblegum. <laughs> and it's just angry. It's angry that it's alive. Oh, you're cooking in a burnt pan, you dick! <laughs> Chew me. Yeah, so he he wouldn't be happy about this film. No. The more I talk about it, the more I realise I'm trying to find you know things I liked uh, about it. But... Yeah, there was. This is what I mean. I think there was like the scintilla of a good idea here. There was something that could yeah. have worked. Um, and we keep coming back to it. I know, but the editing fucked a lot of things over. Um, I think if some things. Maybe if almost if this was a more um I don't know, like Sasha Barra Cohen esque, like it was they put like a real character in rather than a fictitious setting, a real setting, maybe there would have been more mind. There. I would have liked it if they had put in like more like so if he was like a zookeeper and he could talk to the animals. <laughs> uh but one of the animals was uh, it's played by Gary Busey, uh, and he's very horny, <laughs> really horny little chipmunk. <laughs> and Gary Faulkner, Nicolas Cage's character, has to just pound that chipmunk. <laughs> As, and, the, and Gary Busey, this chipmunk, is just, give it to me, give it to me, Gary, more. And it's just <laughs> 75 minutes of just... <laughs> Of just a CGI chipmunk played by Gary Busey, just getting fucking railed, just getting destroyed by Nicolas Cage. That's what the film needs needed. Let's not beat around the bush. That's what it. That's what it was missing. Hey, Nicolas, I'm uh, Gary Busey. Um, I think that's how he sounds. His old teeth. But then his character was like, "You see that marsh pile? That used to be a chipmunk, America." Um, just fucked it through the fucking wall, just like just like a cartoon figure, just where the shape of a being used to be. But I, I think 
where the film would take a turn is um, I would so I'd still put uh, the character of Marcy. I'd keep her in the film. I like I want to round out her character more. I think she would see a business opportunity in this talking chipmunk sex show <laughs> and would pitch to the zookeeper or the you know the patron of the zoo. <laughs> you know, let's sell tickets for this show. Yeah. Um, I will do some open mic comedy at the start because that's about. I, I forgive me. I don't know the name of the actress who plays Marcy. Very funny lady. I've seen her in a few things. Very uh, funny. Wendy McClendon Covey playing Marcy. Wendy Wendy McClendon Covey. Yeah, I would. Um, yeah, have her. You know. Yeah, like a ringmaster, maybe a gymnast, a ringmaster almost. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd give her more. It's like you know, and and now welcome to the arena, the great chipmunk fucking Gary Faulkner. Yeah, I mean they wouldn't they wouldn't call it that. They'd probably call it, it's a zoo, isn't it? So they'd probably call it like um you know, rumpy pumpy show, you know, <laughs> something a bit more kid the friendly. Pumpy PG uh chipmunk and annihilator. Yeah, give it sort of like a punch and judy vibe. <laughs> but it is just and I cannot stress this enough. It's just Nicolas Cage manhandling that CGI chipmunk. Slowly just dealing with the rodent problem. I can't stress this enough. The chipmunk wants it. <laughs> That's so important to them. I mean, let's the premise of what this film let's needed. Let's not beat around the chipmunk and, bush. That's a tiny hole. Um, yeah. Oh god, yeah. That's what makes it so compelling. <laughs> That's what makes people buy the tickets. How's it gonna? But also, you you can edit that film. You can chop that up, <laughs> cut it any way you want. That's what it's gonna be about. There's no escaping that. I mean, I'm... No amount of edits can spoil that version. <laughs> I just of the imagine film. like a traveling circus, and it—I don't know—it ends up in France, and there's just a little French boy. He looks like a mime in my head. He's like, eh, "Papa, I want to see the chipmunk get fucked." Um, it's like, "Please, Papa, can we have coin for chipmunk all? Coin for all, Papa?" I think that would be the post-credit sequence. But in like a sort of M. Night Shyamalan style twist, <laughs> you know, that little French boy grows up to be the villain of like the next film, um, you know, because he's got a rival zoo. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll, I, that, we'll kick that one around. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, papa. Um, he goes, no, son, I could never again watch a chipmunk. Get fucked through a while. Am I going to get cancelled? The responsible, the responsible parent. <laughs> played uh, the French boy would also be played by James McAvoy. I'm imagining that film. What was he? Split. Yeah, where he plays like lots of French boys. Um, <laughs> he plays ten French, different French boys. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that's what the film needed. Um, you know, some some raw dog in or something. Yeah, just a chipmunk getting fucking raw dogged into a non-existent. But instead, <laughs> he goes to uh, Pakistan. There's some light relief. He goes to a field, passes out, and then sort of has a sort of hallucination again. Yeah. I just I, that's, that's another thing at the very start of the film. Russell Brand, as God says, that's it from me. And I was like, oh, fantastic, great. Just a little cameo. 
I can deal with that. And then he wasn't true to his word because he kept coming back. Um, yeah. And it was, it was a law of diminishing returns. Every time he came back, I just thought, oh. Yeah, he, he picks leave. him up in that van and he's like, I'm not going to give you hints because I gave you freedom of choice. So therefore it cancels each other out. And they have that little conversation when he's basically, I think, passed out in a field later on, which I, th- I think at that point, God is saying in a way that he isn't isn't real because like um uh uh say i i am what you made me it was it's something on those lines like i am what you oh he tries to have that really sort of thought-provoking and somber point of like i don't know gary you think uh you think uh i made you in my image but maybe you made me in yours um that's really tender tender moment but then it's really upended by the fact that no one fucking smashes a chipmunk's back doors in <laughs> uh, immediately following. You do, which is a huge well, shame. immediately following that scene. No, it's not um, a chipmunk. And, you know, Mayo Pitcher as well. It's not just chipmunks, but also Bob Monkhouse and Monk from the TV series Monk that he rails as well. Um, so I was at the fashion chip shop the other day. Oh, is that a penis? Railed. Um following that you get the fever dream of him on dialysis versus uh binny boy bin laden on dialysis and they have a sword fight um mm. which i thought i thought that was a bit of a high point as well i thought you know there's although they all stood up and the, the, the little um the sort of needles the tubes that are in them came out and they were just blood leaking everywhere um yeah that was um I felt like there was going to be a bit of a reveal, like the film, uh, I think it might be called Special. I think you might have lent me that film at uni, actually. I think it's called Special oh. with Michael Rappaport. Oh, yeah. Um, I lent you Special in like our first year and then you gift- re-gifted it back to me as a Christmas present like four years <laughs> later. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like something I'd do. You're right. God, I'm a piece of shit. Um yeah, but I mean, it's a very good film, um, and it was really. I mean, I've I've not watched it since, so I'm, I don't know how it holds up. I I remember coming away from that. There was a big reveal in that film, and you're like, oh god, that's so tender and emotional. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, are they going to try and do something like that in this film? And it just that was my main gripe with it. He has. I put in my notes here, sword fight exclamation mark. Thinking like, oh, this is you know, um, silly and you know, fun and. But it just didn't like really pay off. It just sort yeah. of like after that, it just sort of juddered a bit and then finished. Yeah, he he just wakes up in a hospital bed. They the CIA had found him in a field, and then they sort of escort him back to America. Um, and then you get sort of the the false happy ending where he he does the friends Rachel. He gets off the plane. He's been thinking about what Marcy said, and he's like, "No, you're right. I'm going to give this a chance." And then. We hear Russell Brown going, uh, Gary, Gary. And then we get all the, um, during the credits, all the real life footage about um, Gary as well, saying he um, he's going to continue to keep going back to Pakistan. Um, he wasn't charged by officials because he technically hadn't committed any crimes, but he was planning to uh, use the money from the film to buy a new kidney, um, which I don't know how much money he got given the box office figures on this, but... Um, there's not really been anything about him since sort of an article or two in 2011. He's been been quiet for ten years, um, terrifyingly quiet for ten years. So, yeah, I guess he's plotting his next his next 
rescue mission. I mean, I, w- I will say, I suppose I'm being a bit harsh. There, there's that bit at the end where he's, yeah, uh, you know, it's revealed that, oh, we got him and um, very ill at sea and all that stuff. And that's how he, he constructs that narrative, doesn't he? Of like, oh, um, he's got to still be alive and it's still my destiny to, to go out and find him. Which I guess is like, I think maybe um, a lot of maybe Americans might feel that way. Not necessarily that they have to go on this holy mission to to kill him, but like that yeah. there is um, there is a sort of I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, this film's exhausted me. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think when he's watching that that sort of news saying that you know America's got in the very at sea, and he he starts kind of crying because whether it's, it's all like whether he's seen his mission has been completed or the mission has been taken away from him, the sort of was like, mm. no, I, is it is it a little too late to have that sort of emotional connection with you at this point? But I suppose mm. just setting it up, he's going to be this um, almost tragic character destined to keep pursuing this uh this line of work that's only going to end one way for him that's sort of how i felt about um when there was like an itv uh report about the capitol building being stormed to to kind of go back to that Uh, and um a lot of these like nut job far-right fascists in america i i i this film does touch on that truth of them going like I am the star of my own narrative and like a lot of them one of them was like screaming into the camera like this is our house like speaking of the capitol building or maybe the country I don't know like you know this is ours they all seem to think they're like the protagonists you know they're like the cowboy they're gonna just been like the whole country seems to have been like Hollywoodified you know it's pretty crazy um, so I feel like that for all of the, I don't know, the film tries to get quite haughty, but I do think that's one thing that it does do quite well is that it captures this idea that, uh, that insidiousness, that brazen insidiousness exists in America. And yeah. Yeah. It does a good job of like shining a light on it, I think. What it doesn't do is give uh, the only female character in it any agency away from it. She's just got like a Leonard Skinner tattoo or something. And yeah, he's got them. Um, I guess the, the the tramp stamp to sort of air quote it. That's her backstory. Which he, yeah. he likes having a good peep at. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see why Marcy was there to try and keep him grounded. Otherwise, this would have just been a complete. A flight of fancy almost and air too much into the side of ridiculousness. Um, obviously, it was a lot behind the scenes stuff. A lot of stuff um, affected this film adversely as as it shows. Um, there was good ideas in here. I think some stuff could have been played for more. Um, could have touched on more stuff. I mean, there's the, especially now, as you've been saying, with the Capitol building, um, which is at the time of recording, sort of very recent. Um you know, there's there's some underlying stuff in here, and how, I guess, how much sort of the news, and I guess even more pertinently, social media can uh, affect your way of thinking and wrap you up in this sort of conspiracy mindset, and how people can be becoming grained in this um, right wing hysteria, yeah, getting radicalized, yeah, and, this radicalization. Yeah. So, 
Um, I kind of think if the film had been maybe even made a few years later, they could have done more with especially how pertinent the right wing became. A chipmunk. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking chipmunk. chipmunk. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're right wing, fuck a monk. Uh, bring, come, get off your high horse. Fuck that monk. And uh, just have, have a good time. Rail that little tiny X-shaped boot hole. Yeah, we should also preface that it's a CGI. I ca- cannot be clear about that. It's a CGI Gary Busey voice chipmunk. Um, that's, I just, I, I, ca- I keep coming back to it. And I'm sure if anyone's still listening to this, um, that's, that's all they'll be able to think about. <laughs> that's what I want them to take away from it as well, is that, yeah, you know, what, Make the films you want to watch. <laughs> you know, don't make something you think someone else wants to watch. Make something that you're passionate about. Give yourself to something mm. that you love, which in this case is a Gary Busey voiced 3D chipmunk um, getting mm. fucking railed night after night after night, including the Saturday matinee. Because um, he wants it. Because he's horny. He He's horn. He want he need or you pay me in 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 a deceit he's italian now pay me in a deceit there's absolutely no payment that's the that's the beauty i think that's another that'll be his arc as well that's the real uh, that's the emotional tether of this version of the film (laughs) is that the you just see the joy he's just in it because he loves it he loves getting fucked (laughs) It's what it's what the sort of uh, the voiceovers is like. The drummers like he loves getting fucked. CG chipmunk, whiskey in a jarrow. and he's sort of lowered from the ceiling on like wires. There's like pyro flames, <laughs> like WrestleMania. He comes down in like a cage. <laughs> He's, he's just going like a, flying around the crowd on wires like the like the majesty of live theatre. Remember that? Like a David Copperfield, like, uh, you know, Siegfried and Roy show. There's, <laughs> there's theatrics. <laughs> the fucking is only part of it, but it is the main part of it. <laughs> and then from the middle of like the circus, out from the ground rising... Um, you know, really, it's a metaphor for his, the fucking railings about to get. Now comes Nicholas Cage as Gary Faulkner. He goes, "Who's yeah, ready for a railing?" And everyone's like, "Monk, monk, monk." And they're like, "Fuck that monk! Fuck that monk!" Bends over, spreads cheek. Seventy-five uninterrupted minutes of pure CGI railing. Um, yeah, and then um, credits, bleepers. <laughs> Da, 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 da. Yeah, give them some bleepers. Um, and oh, that was another the, the last thing that I'd like to mention in this film. I think it there, there may have been may, may have been in the credits scene. Nicholas, uh, well, Gary Fulton says he wants Nicholas Cage to play him in the. Yeah, so this is yeah. Film. This is when they've um, the CIA have escorted him back to America, and he's. Um, I think it was. Might have been Marcy said she's you know well, this is an interesting story. I've contacted local media and he's really into it, um, and he's at the bar. Um, it's like um, I don't know what I'm shit for a film. Who's gonna play me? Don't you think I look a little like Nick Cage in Connor? Um, 
So yeah. may, maybe the real life Gary Fulton they did want uh, Nicholas Cage to play him. Who knows? Well, I was just that's a strange thing, isn't it? That like in in the 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 world of this film, just confusing to think about, isn't it? Just impossible to wrap your head around um, that that he is Nicholas Cage, but he's saying it's just it's like quantum physics, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't you can't put it into words <laughs> it's 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 spooky it's just spooky <laughs> you're right it's like it's like ghosts or something it's just it's just scary <laughs> and that's how i left the 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 sofa after having watched this film was scared fucking quaking quaker oats um i mean it's it's the same thing like you know how how is Nicolas Cage playing the guy that he's playing and at the same time he's railing this fucking 3D monk? I just there's mm. so many questions. Um and does it always always I think I should ask, you know, this is 75 minutes of pure uninterrupted monk fuckery CG as we have to keep keep stressing. Keep mentioning that, keep specifying that. Does please. he come? Um I think the post-credit scene. I think we're going to withhold post-credit scene with the French boy in Paris. It's a separate mm-hmm. thing, and I think we we withhold the the pop shot until uh, we get that fucking money for the sequel, baby. <laughs> After the industry's picked it up, and that sequel, that sequel is it's still going to be called Army of One. It's going to be called, uh, you know, the Rumpy Pumpy. Uh, uh, you know, fucking thing. Yeah, you know the rumpy pumpy, uh, fucking uh, the thing, the thing. I thought you were gonna take the easy route and just say yeah. army have come. Oh. Yeah, I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had. We live with our regrets. Um, so army have come, coming soon. Um, and there's gonna be you know, fucking. Gaping CG chipmunks. Oh God, mm. so spread. Um, but I think it, it's important to state that that is more important than this film. The thing that we just made up, but it also definitely exists that we're really serious about, is probably better than this film. So yeah, I mean, if anyone listening um, would fund it or set up a kickstarter i'd i'd write it i'd i'd, I'd write it happily yes yeah, so the film's basically halfway done anyway so the kickstarter's coming army of come uh gonna drop 2022 maybe maybe even 2021 christmas day release just like fucking bell delphine um i have to whisper this but very disappointing um <laughs> No puts. Um I'm, I'm going to cut that out. Um, <laughs> please, please do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Um, but on that note, we come to the end of the episode. Uh, of course, Kieran Murphy, confident friend, mind man, peace. Uh, in the words of um, what's that? Is it, what's that beetle that's still alive? That's not Paul McCartney. Ringo. Um, <laughs> peace and love. Peace and love. Um, where can we find you on the socials? 
It was going really well, and he just sort of like capitulated, did an impression of Bernard Manning. <laughs> <laughs> and then ended it. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter um, at 200 farts, uh, or you can follow me on Instagram at sexy kiki. <laughs> That's S X C Kiki. It's a very underwhelming experience if you do, um, but I need those numbers. So you know, um, you can catch me on my press tour, uh, which is uh, happening this summer, where I'll be uh, performing readings from my new book, um, which is about small. Uh, <laughs> Cut that, just cut with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, follow me on uh, whatever, and um, thanks for having me on the uh, show. Kieran's got some Dude. great tweets about shit, literal shit. Um, yeah, I did one yesterday. I said uh, Bovril Levine. So, there you go. That's what you're missing. He was wasted in his own time, God damn it. Uh, Kieran, once again. Uh, thank you for joining me on the journey to true King Nirvana. It's been a, uh, a pleasure. My begging finally paid off. Now here we are. It's in the history books. Thank you for listening. If you have been, we'll catch you in the next one. But until then, keep on, keep on Cajun. That's all you have to do. Bye-bye. <laughs>